Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. I really like your new avatar, your Skype avatar. Oh, thank you. Of Dr. Head or whatever, Dr. Scarface. Mm-hmm. I'm trying a new thing where I uh, I change things periodically. Oh, whoa. Have you just recently changed your <laughs> passwords? Uh, couldn't say. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm always changing my passwords. When you have a new password, do you make it so that it's something that you can type quickly, or is it something that you have to kind of spider type? like Ah, ah spider typing. Yeah. Are, are you actually asking? Yeah. I would never choose a password that I can remember. I see. And I use a, uh, I use a little uh, computer program that remembers my passwords for me. <gasps> How do you remember the computer program? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Who who blue penis is the blue penis man? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I mean. Whoa. Uh, passwords all the way down. <laughs> I mean, whoa. So you just have the password to you have the password to the computer machine. Yes. And it has the passwords to everything. I have a password to the computer machine, and then my password uh, program has a passphrase, which is a long sentence. And I type that in, and then that lets me get to uh, individual passwords. Oh, I see. You have a passphrase. I have a passphrase. You have a passphrase, which is like ipsit dolorum. Ipsit dolorum, uh, consecutive, uh, Miss Miss Ronnie. Uh, Miss Ronnie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it's something that only you could know. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Send it's me not... some photos of your keys. <laughs> it's not uh, what Mr. Fennell did. <laughs> Everybody knew what Mr. Fennell did. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It wouldn't work. Exactly. Everybody he, knows it. That's, that's my passphrase. He came prodigiously in his shorts. <laughs> but I changed all the O's to zeros because I'm leet. Wow. You learned about that on 4chan, right? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm not a noob. <laughs> <laughs> am I right? Am I right? <laughs> this is terrific. <laughs> mm. Can you do uh can you do radical Ollies? <laughs> mm, totally. I do inverted Mobius. <laughs> oh, that's, is that right? It's my trick move, in, inverted Mobius. If you start an inverted Mobius, are you allowed to finish it? Does it just keep turning around <laughs> in your hand? Uh, uh I think you finish it when you when you land. <laughs> and I it, it doesn't, doesn't matter where you are on the loop. I don't know exactly why or when this started, but for some reason, um, maybe starting a few months ago, whenever I'd see some uh, some kid walking around the neighborhood vaping, um, I would say first and just in my head, I'd go, uh, "Sick vape, bro." <laughs> and then increasingly, I would kind of say it under my breath. I go, "Sick vape, bro." Sick break, vape. Bro. Something happened in the last couple of weeks. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. I just go, sick vape, bro. <laughs> Which now I'm making friends. Well, now I'm doing it for skateboarding tricks and it feels pretty good. So are you saying sick vape, bro, to people who, for their skateboarding? <laughs> when they don't land the trick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels, it feels so good and it feels so right. Cause there's sick this, vape, there's, bro. You know, you see those people that they look a little bit you can't tell if they're tribal or merely live in a car and it's it's a it's a guy who could be sixteen or he could be sixty and he keeps riding a skateboard and trying to jump over the bike rack and he and he keeps making a big noise and falling down Quack. and doing it over. Now first of all, I want to say to this young or old man, you know, Hakuna Matata, I admire your persistence for feeling the need to ride a children's toy over a bike rack. Ooh, Stick boy, with you're that. Get a lot of letters. 
You're going to get a lot of letters. Yeah, I know it's hard. When I think of a vapor, yeah, I think of your I think of your friend Scott Simpson. He's not yeah. really he's not really a vapor though. Oh, I don't know. See, we talked about the, this. What's the dividing line between one who vapes and a vapor? I think it's one thing to have an Ethernet wizard cigarette, and it's quite another thing to have that little R two D two dildo. <laughs> I, oh, okay, all right. I see what you're saying. Like well, you, little... you wonder, like, like this is probably what futurists from the '40s thought it would look like if you had polio or asthma. In 2016, this is what you would use. Uh I will take a minuscule amount of my space medicine. (laughs) 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 Is it a, uh, yeah, is it a a, a vaporous? Benny Benny Goodman cigarette? (laughs) Yeah, like a space clarinet. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why I think it's quite so funny as I do, except that... It's one of those things where, you know, like any kind of old person, you see something that perfectly encapsulates the silliness of a certain generation, regardless of whether the individual people are or are not Rhodes Scholars and good people. There's something that just encapsulates, like, what we're going to laugh about. Mm -hmm. And so you see this in something like uh, when you first see a movie that sends up uh, a trend that's 15 to 20 years old. So, like, you know, you you show a movie about that's ostensibly about the late 80s, and there's got to be some kid with like a tall fade and there's yeah. going to be some people in like um uh, neon clothing there's these right, kinds of, of things that immediately jump out to you as oh some my god that's salt right pepper hats. we we oh, yeah like but there's that thing that jumps out at you that it takes 15 years to really sink in for most normal people we go oh my god that's so weird that we all did that and that seemed normal for a while yeah well think about like at the time river phoenix hair seemed like it was like a fad, right? You, you'll see it mocked in that kind of era of like long, wispy bangs across like your face. Like every Filipino kid got it. You're talking about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Titanic hair, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think of it as River Phoenix hair. Sure, but I think he was there first. I think, I think he was the John the Baptist to that uh, movie. Oh, yeah. for shizzle. But, <laughs> but River Phoenix hair, turns out, <laughs> is a perennial style. We're always going to have River Phoenix hair. I think it's kind of cool, actually. As, as hair goes. If I was out, uh, if I was out to doing ollies, I would have River Sh- Phoenix hair. In sure. fact, I've had it. I've had it many times. But do you remember there was a? And you may not, because you might have been sequestered somewhere mm-hmm. uh, in Florida, wearing army jackets and having a mustache. Yeah. But in the Sequest- Earth- sequestration is one of the primary performance characteristics of Florida. Yeah. Right. Pr- precisely. I mean, because you're all preparing for the for the uh, the super wave, right? <laughs> yeah, the EMP, the Jesus, yeah. uh, losing sports, losing sports. The entire <laughs> state just just that was a great Keanu Reeves movie from 1991. Remember that losing sports, <laughs> losing sports. Yeah, that's actually the brand of my underwear. <laughs> um, but 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 uh, there that's was the one that has the silver in it. You got silver in it? No, that's different. The silver underwear is different. Is that your Arfid Arfid protecting underwear? <laughs> it uh it's uh it's like a faraday cage oh nice <laughs> it's a fair faraday cage for your uh for your business yeah it keeps the uh the, the electromagnetic pulse out of my junk that's nice i was on the eff site uh, a day and a half ago and I, I saw i was buying some eff uh items and i saw that they have uh several arfid protecting things you can get you can ar- get an arfid protector for your passport you can get one uh for your Is- wallet is the EFF site the one that listens to the signals radio station from? from I think you're thinking of Jeff, Twe- Jeff Tweedy. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and they're trying to protect us from things. They have a seed bank. 
Uh, right? Uh, Aren't they the seed bank people? Are you? No, hang on a minute. You're talking about like a survivalist thing? Seed no, bank? like, uh, well, the seed. You sure you're not thinking, thinking of the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation that protects the pandas? A lot of people, uh, their seed bank is just a pile of, uh, of used <laughs> tissue, but. I've got, I've got a hell of a seed bank right here. I'm talking about stretches back weeks. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I want to go. I want to go back and revisit the idea Arfid, of the giant Arfid phone vaping. I want to get back. I want to get back to this Seafid uh, thing you're talking about, or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I just missed it. Oh, Arfid. Arfid. But uh, but no, I I remember very distinctly in the early '90s when the when the first wave of not not like raver. The first wave of ravers I think of as sort of Madchester, mm-hmm. Madchester ravers, right? But the second wave of waivers, if you will, <laughs> uh, where they were, where they all had uh, pacifiers, yeah. and giant pants, and they were wearing shop glasses, and they were they're very Burning Manny, like uh, they had they had goggles on a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, and yeah, had, no, I know what you mean. There was there was a, there was a crossover. There was the because well, you had, I mean, not to be too precious about this, but you had like house music. It mm, was kind of a thing. That's but, right, house but, music. But then the Manchester came along, and you had all that bullshit like Happy Mondays, which I which I still can't believe anybody liked. And there wasn't really I think music. Listen to our program. It's a lot of stomping and a lot of screaming, and yes. uh, and it wasn't very good. And the guy couldn't really sing, and the music wasn't really any particular kind of music. But it was of its time. Mm-hmm. And so people would go and they dance around to that because they're English, mm-hmm. and then uh, <laughs> and Spanish and French. Yes, yes, yes. Increasingly French. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the but second wave, I was afraid. That's when you get into more the 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 kind of stuff, right? And that's where you get the wave of ravers. I was afraid of that. I was kind of like with the with the space clarinets. Yeah, it seemed like. Wait a minute, is this? The thing we're all going to laugh about, or is this the? Have we turned the page? Is this the new? Mm. Is everybody going to be doing this in fifteen years, and we'll never remember a time? You remember, like having a foot in both of those worlds. On the one hand, you go clearly it's silly for a grown man to wear clown pants and have a pacifier, but on the other hand, it's like you know, you know, I don't want to reject everything out of hand just because I don't understand it. Well, exactly right, and and there are so many things right now. I was thinking about this the other day. So many. So many things right now where you're like, is this the is are we at the beginning of a thing where this is the this is a lasting idea? I'm missing out. It's like it's like it's like it would be like in 1969. Like I'm not doing Snapchat. I, t- I looked at Snapchat. I found it to- totally confusing. Am I the guy who goes like I'm not going to watch the moon landing because that's not such a big deal, right? Are you right. are you on the wrong side of history? Right. Or I mean, in particular, right now we have so many ideas that are fashionable. So many ideas about what the what the future is going to look like or how like uh, my whole life my whole young life i was like dad you don't know anything herp derp <laughs> and then as i got older i was like oh it turns out my dad knew some stuff yeah um now we're in a, a cultural moment where there's a whole generation of people who are like you don't know anything and maybe they're right mm-hmm. or they should maybe they work with a stranger john yeah Maybe there are culture. Maybe it's maybe some of these ideas are a cultural cul-de-sac. It's really hard to know. I agree. How we're going to be in fifteen years? What and the, you can't always. And the thing is, that there are certain kinds of things. Like, you know, in retrospect, looking at video of civil rights protesters, like they had everything going for them. They had they had they had a really shitty 
history as human beings. Terrible things were visited upon them. And yet they looked cool. They acted mm-hmm. cool. They were tough as nails. And like to see like a well-dressed black woman getting hit with a fire hose, you're like, holy shit. How could everybody not look at that and go, God, I hope that lady wins whatever it is that she's winning. Even, <laughs> yes. Even if it's a weird idea. Even like, but even like I was watching, um, watching a Muhammad Ali uh, uh, biography the other night, uh, like a documentary. And like, you know, say what you will about Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. But man, those guys look sharp. They look sharp. That was a great look. And so in retrospect, we look back and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of had a plus, pluses and minuses. But what I'm trying to say is you cannot always judge the space clarinets and the wave ravers and the burning and the burning hair. That's right. You can't but, always judge it by how well they pull off the fashion part because there could be an, a seed, back to the seed bank, a seed of a fantastic idea buried inside all those clown pants. This is what I worry about because if, if, I, if, I, if I launch myself back into the early 80s where I'm watching Buck Rogers in the 21st century – there was a lot of dancing in that television show that revolved around people each grabbing one end of a scarf, sometimes a long gauzy scarf, and and kind of waltzing around as though around a maypole, except there's no pole. They're just holding the scarf up in the air and was dancing. Was the music like fancy chamber music? Well, sort of, except played through space clarinet. Oh, space, space, space music, yeah. Right? So it was space music, and they were doing this dance that seemed kind of like a, like a mating dance, but they were obviously very sophisticated space people of the future. And it, it actually kind of connected to uh, the uh, dancing that they did in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, mm. the sort of, you know, the guitar swooping. Everything in the future, as seen from the 80s, involved some kind of hand motion dancing. It's kind of like, like what, like Morris dancing meets uh, rhythmic gymnastics? Well, yeah, except very slow, right? It always took oh. place very slowly. Like the Buck Rogers dancing was very slow. So was the guitar swooping motion of Bill and Ted. It was all very, you know, it's not like frenetic dancing. And so you, so you look now and you think, wow, is, is it, are we actually closer to the future with, uh, with the goggles and the, the clown pants and the vaping mm. than we are because, you know, when I see a picture of Malcolm X in 1960 or when I see the, you know, the, the people in Selma, like, you're absolutely right. There Just sitting, is, sitting there at the lunch counter, like in like a necktie. There's no better fashion in the history of time. So badass. Than 1959 to 1962. Mm. And you wonder, like. It's sort of like the cars, the, the cars of 1967. Why don't we just go back to that? We'd never, we, you know, and this is the crazy, I, I sound like an uh-huh. absolute crazy person. Yeah. But because, but I think because those fashions actually predate me, I'm not doing the weird nostalgia thing of like, why, why, uh, why don't we just all drive 1987 cars, which would sound crazy, <laughs> but to say 1967 cars from before I was born. That doesn't sound crazy. The problem is when they when they do it doesn't sound crazy. But the problem is people do try to do that. But when they do it, it would be like going to like the cheap carnival in town where they want to draw the caricature of you uh, with the giant head kicking the soccer ball, and you're like, "That's not really what I look like." And like, "Ah, "That's what you get for a buck." And that (laughs) that feels like oh, 1967. Like, have you ever actually seen one of these cars? These things you these these things that people make today look look like a box that arrives from Amazon that just happens to be painted orange. Ugh. Yeah, uh, one time I was walking across um, the Charles Bridge in uh, in Prague, and it's covered with people doing those drawings. Except mm. they're not. Is this they're the night not, you got mugged? No, no, no. Mm. And that was a different town. Sorry. 
I can't the, keep all your bridge anecdotes straight. There's a lot. A lot is going on on the bridges uh, in Europe. That's a, that's a main because what happens is the people on the one side and the people on the other side they meet in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> but, but on the on the Charles Bridge, there are all these people. They're doing the, people have little contraptions where they they're it's like a organ grinder and some little puppet is dancing. I'm sure that you'll find somebody with a monkey. A lot of people are drawing. <laughs> There's juggling. You know, it's a it's sure. like a th- it's a thing. Half the tourists in Prague only go across the bridge to go back across the bridge. We got a bridge like that, right? But oh, that's right, you do. But there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of people that actually have to go across this bridge. That's and so I interesting met- to think of it that way because, like, I never thought of it in quite those terms. Like, what are your <laughs> uses for a bridge? The primary use of the bridge for most people is to go from one side to the other for a while, That's and the then initial. probably come back. Uh-huh. Those are the people that just think of the bridge as a thing that you just go over and come back. You go over and come back, right? Over how many back. people? How many people go over the the uh, Golden Gate Bridge and come back? So would many. Say, Yesterday would, it was it was so fogged in and so windy, and there were all these people out there taking pictures of themselves being cold. <laughs> I felt so bad for them. <laughs> but I mean, uh, when you think about that, what, what would you estimate it was forty percent of the traffic or sixty percent of? The as far as like obviously the foot traffic, there's not that many people that are commuting <laughs> right from Sausalito. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just gotta, I just need to get from, I uh, need to get from the Presidio up to the uh, Marin Headlands for my executive job. <clears throat> no, it's oh, a lot of people I- on bikes, and you know, and no matter how many times, it, it's it never stops being funny. This is San Francisco is the TSA agent of the world. We keep telling people, ladies and gentlemen, please. I know it says June on your calendar. I know it's probably June in Germany somewhere. Please, please, wear long and hosen. Wear some long pants. Yeah, for sure. For sure, you're going to freeze your ass off. But anyway, on the Charles Bridge. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I stopped one day, and this is the Talk about the one that's over the Vltava River in Prague. Yeah. Yeah, the Vltava. Oh, yeah, okay. I know I know the one you mean. I'm sorry, I was confused for a minute. Vltava. Mm-hmm. And, the pedestrian-only uh, bridge. It's, it's, it's also known as the Stone Bridge. Is that the one? That's the one. <laughs> that's exactly right. It has statues along its length of all the important uh, saints of the Czech people. And it's very. It's one of these bridges where, yeah, uh, t- tens of thousands of people go across it every day for n- absolutely no reason. I happen to feel like there's a really great break- bakery on the other side. No one ever goes to it because it's just waiting it's just waiting there for the normals for the people that are like i gotta go across the charles bridge on my way to work and i think probably if you lived there you would avoid it at certain times of the year but i stopped there one time having gone across this bridge um, not a million times but you know somewhere short of a million and more than 15 and there's a guy there he's drawing people and i'm like you know i'm gonna send a drawing home to my mom because isn't that, isn't that a nice thing to do? Like, I'll put it in the mail. It's nice, it's personal, and it's unusual. Yeah, and she'll open this package. Oh, it's not I got a shot a glass or a tiny spoon. Exactly, it's a little thing. And, I, and it's like, oh, I got a package. And you open it up. It's a hand drawing of my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, And, and it, it's not going to say anywhere on it that it was done on a bridge. That'll be part of the story that I bring home. So I sit down, and this guy's doing this drawing, and he's chatting to the other drawers around him i'm not going to call them artists Mm-mm-mm. and i get this thing what and when he's done i get this drawing and it is the spitting image of my cousin oh creepy like, like he just did my face just wrong enough that it looked exactly like my cousin stevie so much that i thought about sending it to stevie like hey 
We haven't talked in a while. I have this drawing done of you. <laughs> That's not weird. <laughs> and so I didn't want to send it to my mom because I was like, this isn't a likeness of me. But but this guy's doing this drawing for <laughs> like five. Like sending you a picture of your cousin. Yeah, right. Hey, mom. That's kind of weird. I had this drawing done of Stevie. Not sure what to do with it. Happy uh, Mondays. <laughs> so, uh, so I carried it with me. Because I'd paid five dollars for it or fifteen dollars, I didn't want to throw it away. And when the you know when the guy was like, "Here's your drawing," I was like, "Hmm," and he said five dollars. He was it was clear that it was clear to both of us that it was shite. But he was like five dollars, and I was like, "Here you go." And we sort of parted ways without a handshake or anything. Like, hmm, all right, thanks for your help. Uh, and I but I carried it with me. I carried it with me unwilling to throw it away, but also unwilling to send it to anyone and knowing I would never display it or use it for anything. Uh, I carried it with me until it became a, like a talisman of a certain kind of thing. Like here's this shitty drawing that I can't get rid of. <laughs> and I eventually one day like unburdened myself of, of, of it. And I think I might've even thrown it in a river, Oh my a, goodness. A, a later river. Different mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Tell me, <laughs> Tell me, Merlin, how at risk I have. I have two. Now I'm giving away a lot oh, of no, stuff. You here. don't want to do this. People are going to be very upset. Oh, don't do this, please. Don't do this. Are you are Are you sincerely worried? Are you, are you worried? About, are you talking about passwords? Yeah. No, not not passwords. Okay. I also want to talk I, more about Morris dancing and. Uh, I, I, I only have there. one password for all my stuff. Oh my god! And it's the, and it's the name of my cat. <laughs> <laughs> whose name is cat <laughs> <laughs> i've said the name of the cat on the program several times no i uh, uh what is the actual risk of somebody scanning me as i walk past oh for our with for our rfis <clears throat> see that's a good question i don't know i i don't know a lot about arfids i uh I, and again also because i don't know a lot about the way that you capture the information from RFIDs. I remember a few years back reading a fascinating article about Walmart, and as there are so many fascinating, but like reading basically about how their infrastructure works. And mm-hmm. we, we know about things like their just-in-time delivery. We know about, you know, the ability to use computers to track the need for things and what works well and what sells well. And we know about all the business relationships. But I'm what's, their, what's their just-on-time delivery? It seems to me that if you order something, you would like it to, to arrive a little bit before just on time. Well, JIT, just in time, and so and so. Part of what uh, Wal- part of Walmart's success comes down to their network of massive warehouses located around the U.S. Mm. and an ability that people like Amazon have now gotten extremely good at, which is to anticipate what kind of stuff will be needed where, not just based on what season it is. It isn't like Walgreens putting fucking fans up. In, in an aisle in uh, Western San Francisco because it's summertime. <laughs> Yay. Uh-huh. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the extra SPF 50. That'll be real handy. Got uh-huh. any mufflers? <laughs> what the fuck? No. So they're like, oh, we're being real smart. Apes. We got an aisle called seasonal where we put the Easter shit. No, much oh, yeah. more than that. So anyway, the idea with Just In Time is that they have, they have the ability to understand a whole lot of stuff uh, about their supply chain from like where the where the like the basic plastics are mined all the way down to like how people will buy stuff in the store what goes on an end cap which kind of deal they could get on plastic pickles all that kind of stuff do you think do you think that amazon knows that i'm gonna buy new pads for my 7506s like is there somebody there that's like woo? i can feel a disturbance in the forest as this has been explained to me it's not quite as creepy or magical as you would think but 
there is an element, and I want to come back to Walmart, but the idea with Amazon is that they can anticipate what people in the area that they supply are more likely than not to order based on stuff. So, for example, let's say, I mean, this is, I, this is probably not scientific, but let's say that there is something that's getting super hot, like Cards Against Humanity. Like, it's a very popular card game. It's been the number one card game on, but say there's something like that. There's a new thing that pops up that suddenly goes on a national list, goes from number 7,000 to number 89 like within a few days. And then You're talking about cabbage patch dolls. Could be, could be. But the thing is, then they notice another pattern, which is that a bunch of people in uh, the city of San Francisco have added that item to their wish list or mm-hmm. added that item to their cart. Think about it this way, mm-hmm. just for the sake of argument. Let's say 100 people in San Francisco have added something to their cart. The given SKU, a given ASA, ASIN has gone right. into their cart. If they were just for, the, just for the shits and giggles to have 10 of those in town, at the, even though they haven't been ordered yet. Oh, I see. That's entirely reasonable because there's a pretty good chance somebody's going to buy those. Sure, it's in somebody's cart. Right. And so for stuff, so for stuff they can use a, uh, a whole bunch of different signals to figure out smart ways to supply. So that, and then obviously there's all kinds of shit like, you know, uh, cables for iPhones, yeah. all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> like cleaning you better supplies. have those. You know, every, everybody buys uh, Mrs. Myers. That's just how it works. What's Mrs. Myers? Uh, it's a spray for making your house smell like a watermelon. No, really? People buy this? I do. I have a button for it. I can hit the button and it gets delivered to my house. So your house smells like watermelons? Well, grapefruit. It used to smell like uh, bacon and coffee. You're sweet to say so. (laughs) So they got really good at this at the Walmart. And so what I'm trying to get at at length is that supposedly one part of their ability to do this is RFID technology. So Mm -hmm. anytime you buy a dingus, you open Mm -hmm. up the box on the dingus, you open up the box inside the box with the dingus, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you'll notice this creepy... There's, there's two creepy little things in there. There's a creepy little white strip and a creepy little square strip. Oh, yeah, I know those. And the story goes that those are there. I think one of them is for loss prevention uh, vis-a-vis yep. stealing. And the other okay. one is an RFID that is a unique identifier for that serial numbered object. Right. So that at a given time in Walmart, that stuff gets scanned and put on the shelf. Pew. They now have like an instant idea of exactly how much stuff is where. It's, it was designed to be for supply chain but 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 because your credit card's got a chip now because your passport has an rfid people are i think the concern people have is that you're walking by somebody's got a scanner going oh i see and so if you're if you're in walmart they could pull your data down, but it's not like somebody's cruising around in an unmarked white van. I think you've got to be fairly close. I think that's the yeah. thing. Is it, yeah. it, it, isn't, it isn't like you can have a drone fly over the city and collect everybody's ARFIDs. I, I think it's, it's, much, it's more like Bluetooth, I'm guessing. So this is a thing. If I were one of those people that had some thing in my uh, wallet, yeah. like you go to the gas station sometimes and they're like, hey, just touch your wallet and we'll take your money. Yeah. And I'm like, does not seem like a thing I will ever want to do. I don't want to touch my wallet to a gas pump. Mm. Uh, oh, when you get the dingus, when you get the little fob? Yeah, and then they take my money, but it's not a it's fob. It's another eel. It's a thing inside. It's like a, your credit card has the uh, RFIDs or some other some kind, kind of chip. Of, a smart chip, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like the uh, the old app Bump, mm. which uh, for a while uh, people would come up and say, do you have Bump? Mm-hmm. And you bump your phones. And, yeah, I mean, they have I've, a cream for that now. I've got, I've got four or five... Uh, people's uh, personal information in my phone that still says like arrived at through bump, but like you had bump, some kind of bump technology within the card that's in your wallet. Yes. But anyway, so I have that enhanced driver's license and I have a 
passport and I have uh, my um, my TSA supercard. Yeah. And for a while, I carried them around in a little foil sleeve like a crazy, like a chemtrails person. Yeah, yeah. Like tinfoil hat. And then one day I was like, what is this? This is insane. Like, if yeah, some, from, from what am I protecting myself? Yeah, some Russian yeah. hacker has figured out a way to get my passport information from being close to a gas pump. Yeah, I we should, say, we should, prob- yeah, we should probably research this with information. Uh, but my You're gut is. What's that? We're going to get a lot of letters. Yeah, well. I bet people are going to tell us about a bunch taking of down them. my contact link. It's just, it's just not bringing me joy anymore. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want you you don't want to hear from fans. Uh, we had, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why, John, because I don't want to hear from fans. <laughs> I, I had a uh, I had fans a contact me other ways, and they say hello. I'm talking about I'm talking about today. I I woke up to a slew. Uh, I, I'm doing this thing now where I try not to look at my phone when I first wake up. Sure. And I um, and I do other things in my life before I look at my phone, which is very difficult to do because when you unplug it, I can clearly see just out of the corner of my eye that it's filled with notifications, and I'm like, Yeah, uh, Louis C.K. says he doesn't masturbate to uh, to stuff I- images on computers anymore. He sits around and waits until a sexy idea pops into his head. Oh boy, he's really he's a farm to table masturbator. He sure is, and then he sits and he thinks about it mm-hmm. until he's like, Hmm, <laughs> hmm. I've got a, I, you know, like, this is a very sexy idea. Oh, so wise. I, feel, I feel inspired. <laughs> Instead of like, oh, it's 4.15, right. I'd better call up some, some internet porn. Yeah, that, right. So, that's right. That's right. You know. No, he's being self-involved in a, in a, in a, in a much more <laughs> engaged and intellectual way. This, he is wise, one. Hmm? No, he's super wise. Um, so anyway, uh, but I think the notion is that. Wait, and, you got a bunch of emails, though, you're saying. Oh, yeah. Were they emails offering you the opportunity to apply for uh, for a show? No, I get a lot of emails about people wanting to appear uh, on a, on a podcast that I do, as you know. And then I get a lot of email from people having to they want to to buy a website of mine, they want to advertise on a website, they want to write on a website of mine. And it's just dispiriting because I know I'm not going to write back to them, but even the effort that it takes to archive slash delete their email is exhausting to me. Yep. I don't like beginning my day with bullshit. Right, right. You have to comb through all these things. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, it would be like, uh, I mean, you know, like in Minority Report, you walk around and the billboards talk to you and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It would be like that, except the billboards act butt hurt if I don't invite them to my house to hang out. <laughs> Let me ask you about your program where you have guests. Yes. Do you, do you have guests? <laughs> Not once. On the program, not not a so, single time. So when people say, when you get multiple multiple emails from people saying, and a follow up, be, and a follow up, just just circling back, I'd love to be a guest on your program. And let me tell you why it would be a good fit. It's an award. It's an award winning uh, program. Yes, that's been on the air for a long long time. Huge. Never had a guest. Never had a guest. I see. Yeah, there's 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 three parts. Well, at least three parts to this. Have One you talked is, about this elsewhere? No, I talked about it with you before. But yeah, but you true. get but you know I get it. We get a note and it says the first thing. Really, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> this is pretty embarrassing for me. <laughs> I am a, fan. a huge fan of your podcast about productivity. I just it's oh <laughs> I love your podcast. Never Big miss fan. it. Huge, huge, huge fan. All the great shit. I have to tell you, uh, number two. I think I would be a, a great guest on your show with Ooh. my new book, uh, you know, uh, 115 New Ways to Turbocharge Your Power Hacks. You won't believe uh-huh. what happens next. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and then third, there's then at length, there's an explanation that almost always uses the exact same uh, phraseology, which is here's why I think I'd be a great fit. Uh-huh. 
101 super hacks. Uh-huh. In the case of somebody not too long ago named uh, uh, Peck Pong Pet. Peck uh-huh. Pong Pet uh, wanted to be on uh, the show I do with Dan Benjamin. Uh, and, and in giving us some links to things that he had recently done buried in oh. those links... I went and I looked at the description of an episode of a show he was on. Of course you did. Where, uh, do you have trouble getting bloggers to respond to your emails? Peck Pog Pet. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a part of me, my eyes kind of rolled back in my head for a minute. Like, you know, like I, like I, like I uh, touched the Max Bound sit-out tree. I started mm-hmm. went into this vision quest where I was like, this guy is fucking awesome. Yeah. Because he's done it. Another yeah. time, another time, there's a guy who only works four hours a week. And one time in an interview, he told somebody uh, about how he had engineered uh, contacting me, even though he kind of knew that I didn't want to talk to him. Uh-huh. He was able to engineer a way uh, for, for us to get in contact. And he had a he, show about that. He talked about this on another show. Oh, yeah. See, this is a whole thing. This is I've a whole been thing. trying to get a hold of Merlin Man. I know a lot of you have. You got the dark net, the dark podcast net, which is like the podcast <laughs> about getting on podcasts. Yeah, the tour, the yeah. onion of podcasts. But I mean, to, to just at, draw out the humor of what you're describing here, and this is what makes me tired, is that like to get to the point where somebody has obviously never listened to this show, and let's just be clear, I don't give a flying fuck whether you've ever heard the show. What mm. bugs me is if you're pretend, your whole, the whole pretense of this bullshit email is that you've heard the show, when in fact, if you had listened to part of an episode, you would know that we have had guest hosts. We have had you. We've had Jonathan Colton, Rob Cordry. There's been a handful of people that have stood in as guest hosts, but we've never had anybody on the show in five and a half years to talk about their book. No. It's never happened. No, you've never had anyone over to your house to talk about a book. Mm-mm. You've never talked about a book with anybody, even on the train, talk, even talk through Terraville. But, you know, it's just, it's, there's, a, I don't know why. And I, I'm going into uh, Holden Caulfield mode right here. But yeah, that I makes mean, me talk sad. about that a book. Like I have to wake up to that. Like a fish needs a bicycle. Oh, you're telling me? Yeah. You got the lesbian over here. I, I had an idea. Mm. This Are we going to come back? We're going to come back. We still got to get back to River Phoenix, uh, Walmart, Arfids, and I still want to talk about Morris dancing. I want to know more about Arfids. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I, I need was, to do some research on that. Well, see, it, I feel like I don't need to do some research oh, on that. Good for you. Good for because you. Because you and other people are going to do that research for mm-hmm. me, and then you're going to send me emails that warn me. Oh, this is so chemtrails, John. I got, I got, a, I got a text uh, this morning. Not a text. Uh, mm-hmm. I keep thinking of tweets as texts now. I'm yeah, not I also sure. think of emails as letters. I'm, st- I'm starting like to I lose. received a letter. <laughs> I received a letter from a concerned fan. Somebody was like, they, they did that wonderful thing where they threatened to, ex- they threatened to uh, mansplain Frisbee golf to me. Uh, and I was yeah. like, it's so good of you to threaten to do that without doing it. Like, mm. I appreciate that because what they've communicated is I have this information. I know you don't want it. Yeah. But listen, it's there for you. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, that's lovely because now I don't have to Wikipedia Frisbee golf. Yeah. Not that I was going to. Is that what it's called? They probably have a cute name for it. No, they have. They call it disc golf. I oh, think. of course. Frisbee of course. is, a, you know, it's something else. John, were you ever contacted by a Shriner this week? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes. I got a lot of Shriner emails from people who had already contacted me explaining that. Oh, same, same, same Shrine or different day? Uh, explaining that Shrine is an, is an offshoot of or maybe just a, like a deeply embedded component of, of Masonic life, although perhaps in decline or maybe, ironically, in, in, in ascendance. Well, that seems what? useful. Thank you. <laughs> but I, but I, again, I this may not, or may not be this, and it may or may not be growing or not. I didn't probe. Mm, didn't probe uh, the Shriner. I didn't probe, and that also is a component of Shrinerism. 
Don't play uh, the Shriner. What I forgot to say last week was, uh, as I was, uh, as I was, as I was describing how my mom hates hillbillies. Mm-hmm. There is nothing she hates more than Shriners. Oh no, that was the second one. You yeah, had two yeah. things. Number one, two things were your mother and your father. Just to review, because people don't normally listen to this show. Right. Two things about your parents. Well, your parents are the least racist people you've ever met. Probably next mm-hmm. to Donald Trump, I'm guessing. Right. You're, there, but there are two groups that your your mother withholds nothing uh, in That's her right. ire, and that is number one, hillbillies, and then you had a second. You're telling me now the second is Shriners. Yeah, we never got back to the second one, which is Shriners. She oh, can. Man. She just has this lifelong, and it's because she worked as a waitress in Ohio in the 50s, and she she said the Shriners would come in and they they like they kept cattle prods and they would prod the waitresses with cattle oh, prods no. as they were sitting getting drunk in the middle of the day and these and you know it's a different era of Shriners right the sure. contemporary it's a Shriners. more enlightened age yeah well yeah I mean now they ride Vespa scooters or so you know now they have pork pie hats then did they have mirrors on their shoes John Mm, I bet my you they made, did. My mom made that sound like a huge menace in the 50s, as men with mirrors on their shoes. Mirrors on their shoes. And to this day, I still, I've never seen mirrors on a shoe, but but I, I do think about it. That's why you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Or or, or you find a Shriner with a shoe mirror. But she, that my mom. great, great Morrissey song. Anymore, you never see a Shriner. But when no. I was a kid, we saw Shriners, and my mom would just, oh, under her breast, she'd just be like, fucking Shriner. And she and I and it, so I grew up with a very strong association with Shriners, and there was a Shrine Temple, mm-hmm. not four blocks from our house. So there were Shriners all the time driving their little cars, mm-hmm. like uh, saving kids yeah. from sickness. Yeah, and yeah. and I I went I went by the Shriner uh, Temple, both very curious about what was happening in there because there were no windows in the building, but also like f- already filled with suspicion and fear of the Shriners with their cattle prods. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, it's awful. I, I, no, yeah, well, go ahead. I, no, I'm pro- almost definitely remembering this wrong because, you know, sometimes just words collapse in your head. And I, there's a phrase going through my mind, which is shrine circus or shriner circus. Yeah. And what I'm remembering, probably wrong, was that the shriners had a circus when I was a kid. Yeah. And 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 I, 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 I might be concatenating. Uh, or conflating the idea of clowns and Shriners and being scared. I think they but had a I feel like there was a circus when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm remembering the name of this this temple. Mm-hmm. They, they, it was very clever, actually. They called it the Al Aska, like done in an Arabic script, like Al Medina or Al uh, Al Bundy. <laughs> right. They had changed the name of Alaska. Into an Arab sounding like Al Aska. Oh, oh, come on! Right? They had, they had, and they did what? it. In, they did it in like a script, like an Orientalist script, uh, a font, where it felt like an Arab word, Al Aska. Uh, that, that's like a Chuck Jones cartoon. Yeah, it was very like. Ooh, you I should mean, go down to that temple down in Albuquerque. Albuquerque. <laughs> and you imagined that in there, there were dancing girls with veils. Yeah. Because, but there weren't. There were little cars and, and cattle prods. But, but there, the was, idea- there was this, there was a kind of, well, like, uh, I want to say, really, I just, uh, with all respect to Mr. Uh, Saeed, uh, an Orientalist kind of bent. It was very, mm-hmm. like, Egyptian, but there was something kind of, like, spooky Oriental about Shriners that seemed self-consciously ridiculous. Well, the Fezes were sort of Ottoman. The fezes are a little bit Turkish. 
Yeah. 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 But then you got the tiny cars where you're basically saying, look at me, I'm a dick. I'm driving around a tiny car. Well, who knows what a tiny car communicates anymore. People yeah, might true. be like, I like it. I want it. Like a smart car. I, I want a little the three-quarter size of Rolls Royce to drive back and forth from school. Now the children in the Shriners are probably driving smart cars. I bet you they are. Little mm-hmm. tiny ones. Those little uh, those little uh, BMW ones that look like mm, a toy. There was a, ra- there was a rash of smart car flippings a couple years ago in San Francisco. Where people would just turn them upside down? This is not funny. San Francisco has so many fucking problems. Um, no, but there was a thing where like basically overnight like people were just walking around and with, with like you and a few of your buddies, you could flip a smart car. Wow. Like with your hands. I kind of don't hate that, although it's hateful. It's awful. Well, there's just so much awful stuff in San Francisco. It would be funnier if it were somewhere else, I guess. A smart car is an... Yeah, if if that was happening in Vienna, we would be like, yes, exactly. Yeah. I I don't understand... The Viennese Spring. Viennese Spring. (laughs) I don't... And why didn't we intervene in the Viennese Spring in 1958? I changed my icon. I, uh, I, I don't like smart cars, but I do wonder... So here they are, smart cars, things that basically should be given away free because it's just a little, it's like a little transporter for two people. Yeah. It's not a thing you should buy, particularly not a thing you should buy for $27,000 or whatever they cost. Is, are, they, are they that much? I think they're a lot of money. And, I, and the so primary I, thing is, is the primary thing the size? I mean, like, for yeah. example, like when you get a Prius. You don't buy it for the speed and handling. Is it, well, was the smart part how it handles energy things? I think it was not just how it handles energy, but it was a whole, it was a whole like urbanist uh, revisioning of the city, and that's why sometimes you'll see smart cars backed into the curb. At, oh, almost like a motorcycle. Yeah, by way of communicating that in the space of fi- in the space <laughs> that it takes to park your car, we could put five smart cars there by efficiencying. The entire operation of a cityscape. <laughs> well, you- the nice thing about a smart car that I, I do look at it and go, oh, smart car, is our neighborhood, you know what our neighborhood's like. And yeah. most places, Your garages are small. You have small garages, but also um, it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't think these streets were designed – I don't know. Maybe they were designed to have street parking, but – even with the relatively smaller car sizes of today, there's still so many places where you can't quite fit a car. Where yeah, it's they like were between... designed to tie up your horse there. I guess so. Yeah, but I mean, like you'll have these two driveways that are just like you know nine, eight, nine feet apart, yeah. seven, eight feet apart, where there's no way that the jet is going to fit in there. But a smart car, beep beep, no problem, beep, beep. fits right. Why? In. When did you start saying yeah like Chris Walla? How did I do that? Why? Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. I. uh... I I don't like smart cars, mm-hmm. and in particular, I don't like them because I've been waiting 25 years for people to start driving those motorcycles like the one in Akira. Do you remember the motorcycle in Akira? I'm looking it up right now. Uh, and it it was really, it was only the lead oh, just the characters. animated, the animated program? Yeah. It was oh, just look at that. It's characters. like a light cycle. Yeah, exactly. You You sit back in it like mm. you're kind of driving a chopper almost like a recumbent motorcycle yeah and the motorcycle is hinged in the middle somehow like one of those uh green goblin bikes from the 70s oh this is cool and it's like what a cool bike all you'd need to do is just extend the canopy a little bit and it would be an enclosed you know you could use those big fat tires that you see on the back of harleys now Mm -hmm. it would be a little bit like the motorcycle from the batmobile but oh i know what you mean with the big fat the, the big fat tire 
Yeah, if we're gonna have if we're gonna have a thing like a smart car where you drive around like derp derp derp, I'm an engineer. I went to school in Prague. Why not have a fucking one person light cycle? Right, it would. You just have a fucking light cycle. With the, but you, you know what's nice about those fat tires? It seems to me that one of the problems with a motorcycle is the surpassingly small amount of surface area where mm -hmm. the vehicle is touching the road at a given time. I mean, nice. you know, not many square inches of motorcycle are touching the road. If you get nice. those big Batman tires, but you also yeah. introduce a little bit of a Segway uh, gyroscope to it. Yeah, it's exactly right. You put some, you put some Segway technology. Mm -hmm. You have big fat tires. You make it. You take a. Let's let's say you <laughs> basically take basically a, a Segway where you lay down. A laying down Segway, but it's, you know, those, you know, those scooters that are like commuter scooters that are bigger and they have big fat butts and people actually ride them on the freeway, but they're sitting up on it like a scooter. Like a Jonathan Price Brazil car? If you, well, not quite. It's, mm. uh, it's, it, it seems like a lot of times, um, it's sort of a dykes on bikes thing almost, but oh. like people ride them to work. They go 65 miles an hour, but you're, but it's like. It's a uh, it, it's open in the middle, kind of like a scooter, so you can wear your I don't know what suit or kilt or swilt. But uh, if you can make those, why can't you take a bat cycle, a light a light cycle, mm -hmm. and an Acura cycle, mm -hmm. lay back with those for a little bit, think about them as I have done, and then use your uh, your Czech engineering education to actually build a cool thing. A cool rad thing that would never tip over, that would protect you from the elements, and that probably would be able to use uh, Segway technology to prevent you from ever getting sideswiped by a little old lady in a Volvo. Mm. And then this, then we'd be in the future, right? Mm -hmm, a smart car mm -hmm, is not the mm -hmm. future; it's a cul-de-sac. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that. Mm. Nobody wants to ride around in a hard chair. You want to lay back in your super cool motorcycle. And the, the thing is that the Batman and the light cycle both have a real aggressive forward-leaning position, don't yeah. they? Oh, absolutely. Like, like, but, like a crotch rocket. Yeah, but the Akira bike, you're like, you're cooling out. You're like, it's like you're in an Ames chair. Mm. In fact, what if you co-branded it with Ames? That's pretty good. That's See? smart. People, people love stuff like that. See, it'd be, it'd be mid-century modern, except in the future. Mm. Mm. People would, are you kidding? People would pay yes. crazy amounts of <laughs> design within out. reach. How about design just slightly out of reach? <laughs> Which I think is actually what design within reach is. Oh my goodness! Does, it's not in reach for me. Is, that place is costly. It's very costly. <laughs> but if you took if you took that laminated uh, plywood aesthetic of mid-century modern uh, design, but you made it into a super <laughs> motorcycle. You get a, a little bubbly wood car that can't yeah. fall over. It'd be like a Weeble. It'd be like yes. a Weeble crossed with uh, with a light cycle or a, with a Brazil car. It can't yeah. fall over. Right. You know, whatever you can fit in your lap, you get to ride. And then it becomes self-driving. Oh, brother. Whew. Because I feel like a lot of the cars that we have now are actually designed after the car in the Woody Allen movie Sleeper, mm. which even then was a chintzy car. It's like the car... It's like the car in the Tom Petty video where they're out in the desert and they find a video game parlor. Oh, sure. Remember that car? And both of those cars, it just seems like they built something out of, uh, like they recycled some tinfoil and put it over a Volkswagen bug. Yeah. That's not the future. That's mm -mm, not the future. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. The future is mid-century modern mm -hmm. motorcycles. I'm looking at the, uh, the, I guess it's pronounced Isetta. Oh yeah, which I think is the is the Jonathan Price Brazil car. 
And oh, they, really? It's, this, it's what? Really? It's got like a door in the front that opens, like where you would think, would expect, uh, I, go Google I-S-E-T-T-A. Oh, 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 so the Aseta is a little BMW uh, from, it was actually a thing, it was actually the first smart car. Kind of. It looks cool, though. I mean, it's not much bigger than like a, one of the scooters from like Quadrophenia. Well, and, and I think that the idea of the, of the Aseta was that it was a, what, a two-cylinder motor? It was like a motorcycle engine. It's really little, but but the thing is, what I'm not getting across, it's so cool. I'm pretty sure it's the Brazil car. You open, it's got a, so like you look at the front of the car with the windshield, with the single windshield wiper on it, like where you'd expect like the hood to be on a car. It's got a latch. You open that. That's how you get in the car. Yeah. I was very confused Uh, when you came here in the GMC RV and it only had one door. That really disoriented me for some reason. It makes sense now. All you need is one door. Do you remember the uh, the Chevy Suburbans until 1972 had three doors? Hmm. They had a driver's door, mm-hmm. passenger door, and then one door for the second row seats. That oh, was that seems very side. smart in its way. Yeah. So you pull up to the curb. If you're in the back seat, you're not going to get off on this. You're not going to get out on the street side. You say you say what every little kid says. You say slide, Clyde. Slide, Clyde. Slide, Clyde. Uh, the, so the Brazil car. Do you ever say, that? You ever, you ever say that? slide, Clyde? Never. How about move over, Rover? You ever say that? I have said move over, Rover. I say that to my daughter about uh, 16 times a day when she sits on my area, my area of the couch that I bought. I say move <laughs> over, Rover. I'm going to start seeing Slide Clyde. I, I'm going to say move over, Rover, whenever someone is on my side of the bed because I have a clear side of the bed. <laughs> Don't get it's, on my side of the bed. It's not complicated. You know what I mean? It's like, not complicated. That's, you walk into my room, you know which side of the bed I'm babies on. Un- babies understand half. That's right. If we're in a hotel... yeah. You should it doesn't walk. change anything. Doesn't half is still half. This is your side. This is this is my side. Yeah, but everybody seems to feel like they they, they need to be over on my side. It's like no, 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 your no, side. No, no, no. Get on your side. No, that's why it's called your side. That's right. Exactly. It's right in the it's name. It's right in the name. My side has my name in it. That's me. Yeah. I'm my. My is me. I I I, I me. And in then the you have you what's called your side, which your is your side. side. It explains everything in this one very simple phrase. It's your inside. It's the side of the bed that is for your. In the middle of the night, don't get your feet on my side even. Keep oh, no, because see, that's still, that's your, that's John's side of the bed. The feet go on your side of the bed because guess whose feet those are? Your feet. First feet. I'm going to start saying move over, Rover. Move over, Rover. Move over, Rover, and let Jimmy take over. <laughs> <laughs> Slide, Clyde. Uh, let me ask you this. Yes. Did you, do you remember learning the word nautical? Nautical. I'm, I'm gonna I, I, get... I, don't, I don't remember specifically learning it. I remember it seeming old timey and kind of Jules Verne when I first heard it. Right, but... Nautical, to me, nautical is not, I don't think of like a uh, a destroyer. I think about a ship that's got, you got a sextant, you got one of those big compass thingies, whatever those are. Yeah, it could be a steam ship, but it's but it's still... Nautical, so you sense, got a big captain's wheel, you got you got rigging that gets climbed, you might have a brig, but nautical also is a, is a science, science, scientific room that you go in where you have charts and things, and that's, those are all nautical things. Right, but I think you probably heard and understood the word nautical before even making those associations. Probably. A, as just something that had to do with the sea. Mm-hmm. Like that's a nautical-themed bar, or it's, a, mm-hmm. it's nautical, right? Serve water. Uh, when did you? And I think I'm not. I'm not even going to phrase this in terms of a quiz because mm-hmm. I already have the answer for you. Yes. But I think the word bovine is mm. similar, right? You don't remember learning the word bovine. No, I remember it seeming funny from the beginning. It's pretty funny, but like bovine also is the thing that that um, it's not. A, there's not a reason to use it. 
No one ever says bovine. Oh, that's one of those special words you just use to be cute or funny or smart. Yeah, but it's a thing that you know because you've read some you've read some article or some description or someone has there it has come up. Even though bovine has no, there's nothing in the word to suggest. It's a distinction it. that most people in cities today don't need to make. Do you want the regular version or the bovine version? Right, of, you know, it's not of a the antibiotic of whatever. Like yeah. when do you have the need to use the word? You just go cow stuff. Yeah, but you would yeah cow stuff, right? Unless you were reading an article about about blo- bovines or blovines. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm, comp- I'm, comp- I'm 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 working on this theory of language. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that's connected to a theory of education. That there are there's a certain uh, there's a certain vocabulary that you're never going to. If you have one of those vocabulary calendars where every day there's a new word, yeah, and you rip off the top of the thing and it's like today's word is bovine. If you don't already know what bovine is that you learned at some point mm-hmm. through, from your parents or something. You're, bovine is not a word that you're going to learn from a from a, a vocabulary desk calendar, and if they talk about it in school, if they're like today's word is bovine, or like here are some here's ten words you need to memorize for the vocabulary test. It's Bovine's not even not, really like a GRE word. No, no, it's not going to stick. Right? It's like you're I not, think about like words that I remember learning for the GRE, like lacrimose. Lacrimose. There's right. All, there's all these words that you just learned for the GRE. Or words that you have read or heard in your own kind of family or your own er- early education, right? Mm-hmm. Lacrimose is a word that by the time you've read it 15 times, you're like, all right, what the fuck does that mean? And you go look it up in the dictionary. Yeah. But you don't, it's not a word that's going to stick if it's edumacated onto you. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is one of the problems I think of, or one of a, one of the problems with a theory of education that like wh- there are, there are, there are imbalances in schools that we need to redress and we need to do that through vocabulary tests and so forth where there's just this weird, there's this vocabulary in within the language with these words, nautical bovine. And I wouldn't even put lacrimose in there, but like just words that you just know what you just know what they mean Uh where there's, it's not like aeronautical that you can, that you can say like, Oh, it has the word air in it. Aeronautical is a good word. Yeah. It might be, you know, it's nautical plus air. It's aeronautical, even though air is spelt differently. Right. But it's not a thing you could triangulate to. Um, but you just know, and and that that's that's the that kind of uh, that substrata of knowledge is a thing I don't know how you would educate into someone. It's like a, it's like an advantage that certain kids have going into school hmm. that they're just bathed in a already a language that's inaccessible and it's not one that's it's not one that's maybe meant to communicate class it's just a it's just that it's a it's a vocabulary of people that that use words and no words i'm not sure if i'm getting your exact point but i think i feel a a thing that i think i feel a thing that i think is related Mm. and which is this uh, so you've got things like learning vocabulary. Well, for example, if you're learning Spanish, you have your uh, vocabulario where you've got to right. learn some Spanish words. That's, you know, you want to learn what a, what's an aura and a bibliotheque and all those yeah, things. Yeah, not a Cossia. And my all-time favorite, uh, Montequilla. Uh, Montequilla. I love to say Montequilla. Um, but anyway, does that make sense? Because you, you have a Montequilla primary... is what I'm going to start saying when somebody gets their feet on my side of the bed. Montequilla! Montequilla! Ay, ay, ay! 
<laughs> your butter. Uh, and so here's the thing, though. So that makes sense. If you have a primary language, in our case, most of it's English, then you're going to say, okay, now I need to go learn all of these, not cognates, but I need to learn the words for things so that I can mentally say, when I want to say library, I know I have to say bibliotech, and I learn all those words as I'm kind of working my way through the difficult process of like, you know, a spoonful at a time trying to learn this language. So you're not standing on the street in, in Mexico City going, Libraria. <laughs> El Librario. Librario. But here's, here's the thing, and I, this is not very smart, but it's just the thing. Uh, you know, the way my kid is learning math is very different from the way that I learn math, or, or I'll say arithmetic. And <clears throat> we can't have time to go too deeply into it, but it's it's a very different way. I grew up like doing math the hard way for no good reason and like just memorizing lots of stuff. And, you know, yeah. there's the way that she's learning math is a lot is a lot smarter and a lot more integrated with how life works. And she's learning things in a way that will make things like algebra much less weird to learn. Her, her new math is treason. Mark. Her new math is treason. Nice. Hey, good pull. Yeah. I love that band. Thanks, thanks. thanks. Here's, uh, here's, I, here's the thing. I'm not done. Here's the thing about vocabulary. Here's the problem. You go out and buy yourself a word a day calendar. And, like, you can make yourself sound a little bit fancy because you could say things like, that movie made me lacrimose. And, like, <laughs> but the thing is, that's strap-on education is the yes. problem. And here, here's the thing, and I'm not, I'm, this sounds really condescending. I don't mean it to be. It's just that you learn enough about how to suss out word, what a word is or where to look it up and when to deploy it correctly. You will learn things like, <laughs> in the case of people like me who are annoying, that there's a difference between costly and expensive. They mean different things. Say oh, the well. one you mean. Hello. If you read enough stuff, you're going to learn that words mean things and different words mean different things. That's and right. when you read and read and read and read, and then you think and think and talk and read and read and read, think a little, talk a little, you're going to get good at that. The problem is the strap-on education is this way of saying like, yeah, but if you yeah. haven't had all of that, the, the privilege or benefit of that, you can uh, kind of, uh, it's not going to say fake, you can simulate, see again, words, you can yes. simulate that simulate. through a word simulacrum. a day calendar. Simulate and simulacrum. <laughs> I, my, uh, you can my also lady learn to drop the titles of books you almost finished. <laughs> my lady friend uh, uh, went to law school and mm. learned, uh, learned school. Um, <clears throat> she was very successful in school and she learned how to be in school, if you mm. know what I'm saying. Oh right? God, Learn that's so huge. Nobody teaches you that. Yeah, like, and, and the thing is, liberal I, arts. liberal arts is learning how to go to school, learning how to be in school and go to school. And yeah. I learned how to be in school on my own, right? Where I was like, I need to learn how to be in school. Here's what I think being in school is. And everybody was like, nope, nope, nope. That's not what being in school is. And I said, too late. I learned how to be in school already by my own device. Yep. But she learned how to be in school uh, correctly. And part of being in school for her meant to read a certain way. And that reading was to read to, to, you know, to skim the education out of the book. And it to, seems once you know it, it seems like cheating. Well, yeah. Because here's what you do. You look at the book. You read the back of the book. You read the flap of the book. You read the table of contents. You go through the index. You see how detailed is the index. What are the parts that are in bold? And you find the parts in the book that you definitely know and the parts you don't know, and you get a shape of the education before you've read a fucking word. Right. And then you go through and you're like, chapter headings, 
you skim through, you find halfway through the paragraph that basically the, the whole chapter hinges upon. It's the it's the fulcrum of the chapter. You can give it a Terry Gross, where you read you read the first two chapters and then read the beginning and end of every other chapter. And right. then if you need to go back and read the whole damn thing, but <laughs> spoiler alert, I mean that's a way to get through a lot of material that that doesn't have to be the favorite book you've ever read. That's right. how a lawyer thinks. Well, and this is this is one of the interesting things uh, as we try and find a common language. Which which is that uh, I said, well, here are a couple of novels that meant something to me. And uh, she, read them in a, she read them in a day. And I was did, she like, do a Merlin, did she do a Merlin on you? She was in the first 20 seconds. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no way you read The Heart is a Lonely Hunter in a day. And she was like, yeah, totally. And I realized like, oh, there was a whole different relationship to reading happening here that was, and both of us come from, privileged places where you know where you expect to go to a good college and you end up in a world of uh of whatever thinking people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the relationship and i have spent many 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 hours reading uh reading like literary theory books as though they were novels where i'm like reading every word and and trying <laughs> trying to find a fucking plot in that whole discipline mm -hmm. and just like I'm, you know, I'm in this stew of words, 85% of them are made up or in that context, completely made up. Like that's not a word that you can use that way, but okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Or I think I'm with you. And so, so much of the books, so many of the books, uh, that I was exposed to, I read, incorrectly i should have just been reading the table of contents and skip and reading the first two chapters and and throw the book in a pyre um <laughs> but like like even trying to find a philosophy of reading that's that is common even with people that share your sort of social and class strata it's very interesting to find these other styles and to to say like oh shit in in reading this not in me trying to expose you to this novel and and get you to treasure it we have to go back a little bit and start with a whole new you know like learn to read a different way and that's a that's a thing that that when you're talking about a theory of education and you're talking about like we need to reform the schools how what in what like what are you how are you teaching them to read and i don't mean like uh, like stringing the words together but like what is their style of reading mm-hmm and like, and it's caused me to reflect on my own style of reading, and it's why I can't subscribe to the New York Times. Right? It takes me, it takes me six hours to read the New York Times, and it doesn't take everyone else six hours. So I, I guess, like the my, daily. My, that's Times. my wife, um, Madeline, my wife. She um, she reads so fast. Yeah. And and I've tested her. I've I was like, did you really like? I sent her this thing. I was like, oh, you got to read this thing about Brexit. It's this uh, the screen cap. It's three three pages of screen cap from a Facebook comment, and I was like, "It's it's pretty good. It's kind of thought thought provoking thing about Article Twenty Five. You should look at this." And it, it was like it was like this: one, two, three. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I get the idea. Let's 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 play the little funny game called "Let's Play Kate Merlin." No, did you actually read it? She's like, "Yeah, yeah, that was really good." And she does it. And for a long time, I thought she was being glib, but she actually can read that fast and comprehend it. Yeah. My reading is more like this: bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Bum. I I consider myself a not stupid person, but my reading is ridiculously slow. So so in terms of your, I'm not sure this has to do with Arfids, and I still want to talk about Morris dancing. How 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 does this relate to your theory of education and educations? 
Well, you know, I the, the for a long time, right? We've been trying to get uh, to get a similar education, a fair and comparable education to the widest number of students possible. You don't want to have a situation where there's inequitable access to to education so that the kids in the rich schools get great educations Mm -hmm. and the kids in the poor schools get shitty educations. And within that theory of education, there's a lot of understanding that by the time a kid gets to school, they're already on a path and in some cases are, are like, uh, a priori able to digest or able to, uh, they already have a better education just coming from home. So well, the theory of education then extends to a social theory of how do we get, how do we get that education in that, that preparation for education mm-hmm. in kids before they ever darken the doors. Well, and of then the not, not to go to the obvious bit, but also in the face of needing to teach the test, which well, is so, so much and, a thing now. And that's a new thing, right? That's since the Bush administration. But like, there's not, there's not, there's not a whole lot of extra time at the end of the day to go back and learn a new thing because, yeah, there's there's a lot of, a lot of test stuff that becomes very important to how that school gets money and stuff like that. Yeah, and the tests are all that. There's a lot of prejudice within the test of just like and 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 the idea of uh, that I uh, that's a fairly new idea where African American students don't ask rhetorical questions because rhetorical questions are not part of the language of the African-American community. Is so, that true? Yeah. So they come into... Is that a real into, thing? Yeah. Huh. They come into schools and their white teacher will say, so uh, what is uh, what is an, an orange? What is an orange? Mm-hmm. And the black kids will be like, what? What's a fucking orange? And the white kids are like, is it a fruit? And the teacher will go, exactly, it's a fruit. So we know that an orange is a fruit, right? Hmm. And they, they, there's this sort of pedantry that's, that is where, they, where the, um, the rhetorical question is a way of setting up a kind of like, here's the metaphor we're going to use. An orange is a fruit. Right. So therefore all fruit are blank or you know what I mean? Like there's a kind of there's a language of rhetoricism in the white style of education and black students go, this is a this is a stupid question. Mm -hmm. And so right away, there's a language gulf that has nothing to do with, the you know, obviously. Everybody understands what an orange is. And does that have, this is a problem related to how we teach or how kids learn? Yeah, right. Well, it's a, it, like it, <laughs> he said, he said asking rhetorically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, what it is, is that there are all these prejudices way upstream in terms of the way teachers just talk, right? The way they even approach subjects mm-hmm. that puts certain students at a disadvantage before you know and and makes them to the teacher seem dumb or disengaged they get a they get a dark mark from pretty yeah, early because on the, because they're like huh that's yeah. a stupid question and the teacher's like no 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 you're not getting it and they're like no i get it you're asking stupid obvious questions how am i but where you know like where's my point of engagement yeah sure so so all of that you know as we as we realize that stuff and understand it we're trying to modify 
how we do, but it has it happens so far back that there's no way other you know other than having the schools and and you know having schools be this this overarching agency that's actually in people's homes you know that you can't it's hard to tailor an, a, a system of education that serves everybody mm-hmm. and how do you that and, and the, the, the testing thing notwithstanding like i feel like i feel like g- judging a school system on how well students do on tests is just end time shit and it's the opposite of education and it drives me bananas. I and agree. I maybe, I agree. maybe it's teaching, maybe it is teaching kids to be good at law school, but I feel like we don't need that many lawyers. We need fewer lawyers and more book readers. We have plenty of lawyers in other words, but I, mean, I like, and I love lawyers. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I mean, I would say more like, you know, maybe doctors, mm-hmm. maybe more like doctors. And maybe that's what we're trying to make with all this testing. But no, but a yeah. lawyer, like part of being, it seems to me that part of being a lawyer, and there's a reason, I suppose, that so many of my friends from fancy liberal arts school became attorneys. And it wasn't just because of their love of the law or the desire to be a judge or, you know, in the fullness of time for most people giving up and becoming a teacher of law. But that <laughs> happened really quickly in some cases. But no, it's because there was something very attractive about law school to people who had read a lot and thought a lot and worked independently and had to figure out relatively impossible amounts of work over right. a period of time. So if, if anybody was like a, a dingling like me would sit down and go, I have 1600 pages of reading this week. I better get started and make coffee. Mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. But then there's another way of saying, well, like, how do we, I feel like hack on this to figure out, okay, what is the one and I'm not even any good at this. I'm not a lawyer. But like there's a certain kind of thinking you have to do to go like how do I find the like 20% of this that is going to be hugely important to getting the most important part of this done, right? Yeah. So as a lawyer, you might go into a case it seems to me and say like like if I treat every datum in this in these mini mini piles of banker bo- boxes, if I treat all of these data as equally important, I'm I'm going to be screwed. I'm going to have to find some way to quickly, almost like a like a sorting algorithm. I'm going to find some way to to get the gist of a bunch of this fairly quickly. Right. Like well, the trick I yeah, tell my sure. daughter, you know, the trick about uh, estimating, where you take a big pile of stuff, you break it into n divisions of, you know, that look equivalent, you know, this old trick, right? So you could take all of your change, for example, and there are websites that can help you do this, but we could weigh your change to basically find out how much it's worth. But if you take a giant amount of your change, break it into 10, it it works astonishingly well. What's one of my favorite bad company songs? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know about this? You go and you take a a bunch of your change Mm -hmm. and you grab a certain amount of it and Mm, you count up. Well, no, however much, arbitrarily, you say like, okay, in this two-fifths worth, there are this many quarters, this many dimes, this many nickels, this many pennies. And then you weigh how much is in the jar, and it's astonishingly close. Really? Yeah, because you're taking this random sampling of your of your own, and it's not perfect, but like even if you're getting like one percent of the change that's in there, if it's a if it's a fair sampling, you're not just cherry picking quarters. Yeah. It is astonishingly good. And so, like, she's learned that trick. So that's, okay, here's the thing. And do, you, do you say penny or penny? I say penny, I think. Do you know anybody that says penny? I don't know. No. I'll find out. But the, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. That Except that, that this is an amazingly useful skill. Like, that, I, I don't remember learning things like this. Of, like, you know what? If you want to figure out how many are in this set, you know, anybody can figure out half of something. 
visually. You're like half, roughly half. Now half yeah. of that, half of that, half, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Count how right. many are in that amount and then multiply by how many piles there are. And uh, it's going to be close enough most of the time. Uh, is that perfect? No, because this more no. procedural way that we're taught to do it is you count every fucking one because it's an no. American school and we're going to get this right. Memorize, memorize, memorize. Instead of going like, here's an estimation that's going to get you most of the way there in like yeah. a 20th of the time. So this is how that's what I a lawyer should've... knows how to do. And that's what a that's smart how I should have read Hegel, right? When you, when you sit down and you're trying to read Hegel and you're like, here I go, I'm reading Hegel. And you're, and you're in the, you know, you're in the first two chapters and it's one of those like read four sentences, go back and read the first sentence again type of thing. Where oh, really, God. really you should just be approaching like, like a law school student can read 1600 pages in four and a half hours. And, you know, and I'm still on page 150 going like, now, wait a minute. Let me go back to the dictionary and I, like, see if I, I can. I find myself doubting myself. I was just even, right. I was reading a, a very accessible, uh, very good book about language yesterday. And even because I was with my family at the beach, I would still sure. have to keep going back and going like, I think I just missed, I kept feeling like I'd missed something. Yeah. Because if you don't read it straight through, you got to go back. You got to go back. Right. And, I, and, and, and what that effectively did in certain ways was it like my feeling that to read a book half acidly left me with a dissatisfied feeling that I had not read every word in that book and understood it. And therefore, I in some ways had done it was worse to have read that book half acidly than to not have even read the book. Like I did uh, by reading that book poorly, I did the book a disservice. And so to honor the book, I will not even begin to read it. And that was a weird, that's a weird relationship to reading. And I have, you know, I have, I have friends that have read like volumes and volumes and volumes. And, and from where I'm coming from, they read it half acidly. They never had that moment where they put the book down and went, oh. God, that was beautiful, right? Or they like re reading through a chapter, they're just like, oh my God, that was the most beautiful thing I ever read. They're missing that. They mm -hmm. have to be. Well, I mean, think about, think about the way I have a friend who's a, who reads scripts at Lucasfilm and, you know, anybody who reads films who's a producer, you think about that scene in the producers, you know, where they're going through all the different scripts to find the terrible one. Mm -hmm. But like she knows, and Cordy's talked about this, she, like she knows within like two to five pages, pretty much like whether this is something she needs to keep reading because she's got so many scripts to read. She can't stop and sit and cry about the beauty of the plot of every one of them because she's well, got work about to being do. A, think about being a book editor in New York City. Uh, you, can you imagine that? You know, stacks and stacks and stacks. It's like you can't be reading these books. you got to develop some kind of a heuristic, a set of heuristics for figuring out when something is worth spending your time on and then quickly sussing out how much time before you reassess how much time you should spend. I mean, not to bring this back to Carl Ove, but I mean, how many, how many pages of a guy recounting basically minute by minute what his boring childhood was, was like, how many of those, how much, but you know, but to put the book down and say, I can't keep doing this as opposed to just accelerating your pace and be like, uh-huh. Got to uh -huh. get through this. Got to get through this. Got to get through this. Flip, right. flip, right, right. Still talking about that time in the kitchen where his dad wouldn't look at him. Flip, flip, flip. Right. Uh, well, it depends on what you're there for. I mean, you could, the same could be said, I guess, of like an Andy Warhol movie where you go into it knowing that it's going to be many, many hours long and, and seemingly deliberately boring. And so like you can either be there for that experience or you can get super frustrated about how dumb it is. Well, and like the Craymaster cycle, mm -hmm. are you 
if are you watching that? I'm not reading that for plot. I'm not watching that for plot. But if you're watching it and also looking at your phone and oh, also chatting with your friend, are you watching it? I know. I know. I go through this with my lady friend because when I'm watching something really good, especially if it's got dragons and shit, I put everything down. I put everything down and I watch it. And if it's one of those, like if it's like even like a Jodorowsky, anything like that, where it requ- it's an immersive, potentially disturbing experience, you know, there's going to be little things that are cueing you to how Cues. important. I'm, I'm trying to arrive at something here, which is to say that, like, I think one problem with, with us as we get older is we rely more and more heavily on heuristics, shortcuts, eventually cliches. Mm-hmm. Which can, of course, take you all the way down to like stabbing people in Sacramento because that's how you roll. Uh, you don't want to get too caught up in your guesses, your fast guess about what right. something is. And yet, I think there's other kinds of heuristics that we don't think about actively. I, I know I don't think about actively enough. And it's something, you know, and how do you judge this? You think about something like a line like, well, you know, I don't have to eat a pound of dirt to know I don't want to eat dirt. Like the kind mm. of thing you would say about in politics, like, oh, well, you just write this person off. And like, there's those kinds of th- heuristics that can be very dismissive. But like, for example, like if you walk into, you walking into a thrift store, I, I bet you've got an unconscious or even conscious set of heuristics oh, very for how much time to spend before you realize and recheck how much time to spend. You would never put, go, could, I'm going to look at every item in this entire store. I could put it on. A, I could put it in a worksheet. It could be one page long, and uh, there could be a give quiz me, at Give the me a end. couple. Like, does it start outside? What, how, uh, do you, how do you uh, – what, what begins the process of going, yeah, warm or cold? Like, this you, is me. This is not me. For me, you walk in, you're already moving fast, right? You don't stand in the doorway of a thrift store and look around like a dummy. You you come in, you're moving fast. You know that if there if this particular thrift store has already cherry picked what they think is the nice stuff, which they're usually wrong about. But if they've already cherry picked to a certain extent and put over in their little boutique area. I never thought of that before. That's so awful, but it's true. The stuff that's been chosen as a high value fashion stuff by people who work in the thrift store. Exactly, right? This is oh, the first man. thing you need to know that people in the back of a thrift store do not understand what is good. But sometimes it's like weighing your change. Sometimes they get it just right enough that you can't you can't blow past that thing and say no thanks. You do have to go through it, right? Right. Uh, but you can go through it pretty quickly. I, I was standing in the thrift store one time listening to the little old ladies in the back room who were sorting stuff. And one of them pulled out a tour T-shirt from like a late 70s journey tour. Oh, my and God. It was, it was like a baseball shirt. It was yeah, fucking baseball shirt. <gasps> I and would it kill was, for that. It was battered. You know, this shirt was was battered, but still intact and still beautiful. I'm still looking for a Van Halen. What was it? Seventy uh, nine Invasion shirt. I'm still looking for one of those. Right. So that shirt on Melrose is worth two hundred and fifty dollars, and in San Francisco it's worth one hundred and fifty dollars, and on eBay it's probably worth ninety dollars. And this little old lady is like, well, what do you think, Marge? This is that. Do you think that this is still wearable? And Marge looks at it and goes, no, it's pretty worn out. Yeah. And I watch her toss it into a bin, which bin I'm sure is headed to either a fabric recycler. It's going to become or, bath mats. Bath mats, or it's going to go to the Ukraine, right? There's a, there's a whole... There's a whole thing, and maybe Ukraine. I said the Ukraine. I'm no, sorry. He did it again. He started I'm writing sorry, it now too. Jesus. It's going to maybe it's, and I know that whoever is mad at me about saying the Ukraine is yeah. also going to be mad 
at the suggestion that old T-shirts are being delivered. So let's go. Oh, yeah, go. but dude, some kid's going to be, oh, don't stop believing. He's going to be so happy. That's right. But I, And I think maybe it ends up in uh, in Transylvania. Let's say Transylvania because I've never gotten an angry email from anyone in Transylvania. Uh, <laughs> That's where Ken Stringfellow is going to retire. <laughs> but I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this thing go into this bin, and I'm thinking – I am not someone who's going to get that Journey t-shirt and sell it on eBay. I'm just not. And I don't care enough about it. And via con Dios, Journey mm-hmm. t-shirt, like you blew it. But I'm also thinking these ladies throw. Oh, this is, those- so, so there's a heuristic for you is that there is a chance that there is uh, some, uh, some pearls among the oysters here. It happens every day. Okay. But when I walk into a thrift store, I go through their boutique really fast and you know, my my number one heuristic is if you don't like the fabric of a thing, doesn't matter if it fits. Uh, oh, don't waste your time. Right? Got so it. If, if you're walking through the thing and you're like, does this fit? Does this fit? Does this fit? You're that's you're screwed up. You what you do is you run your you kind of walk down the aisle, you run your fingers along everything. You go to the size area. So you say long sleeve shirts in your no, size. No. No. No, because tell me more. Those people in the back room don't know what sizes are either. Oh, oh yeah. They just don't. And particularly because a lot of shirts that are nice are in European sty- sizes. And they're like, 46? I guess that means it's the same as a 14. Maybe they put the decimal point the wrong place. You know, stuff is everywhere all the time. Sometimes I go over and look in the extra large women's stuff because they look at a blazer that's an unusual color and they go, this must be a girl's blazer. And they put it in extra large women's. So, That's so it, weird. It's, it's just, it, you have to imagine. It just, it's, a, it's the you know, color, color of your crystal and the granularity of your lens, like how you see the world. Yeah. So a it results bin, in entirely different results. A bin of, of other people's old shit arrives in the back room of a thrift store, and the people who have either anointed themselves or been transferred over into the sorter gang are just going through there with whatever their education is about clothes and about stuff. And they're like, this goes here, this goes there, and they're often wrong. So you just run your fingers over everything until you see something that jumps out at you as like, oh, that's nice. And then then you you take extra time with it and you say, does this going to fit? Do I like this? Do I like the style? And it's very different if you are looking for a black suit to go to a funeral because there's a lot of black suits and you have to kind of like, okay, I'm just confining myself to confining myself to these black suits. But for me, I can walk through there really fast and just like, nope, 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 nope. I know that I'm not going to go through the every button down shirt in the store looking for the one that jumps out at me because I can just go, I can, I can go almost at a walking pace with, with my middle finger, just grazing over everything, Mm -hmm. looking for the moment that I hit something that's like, "Hmm, that feels good. Or that fabric's unusual or, you know, and then almost just as quickly, you can pull the thing out, look at it and say, is that going to fit me? Yay or nay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you, you look at it and you go nay. And if you look at the tag, only you will be wrong about a third of the time because the tag's going to say medium. And then you look at the shirt and you're like, this is not a medium. Clearly it's not a medium. It's bigger than all of its neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a, it is a mistake. Sizes, sizes, even on garments you pick up brand new really feel 
like there are two standard deviations. Uh-huh. Like like I bought a sweater not long ago that's a large that after one washing feels smaller than a medium. Uh-huh. There's not much to really bank on except your ability to like go pick it out and try it yourself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I hit all that stuff, right? I barely look at pants because really a man needs three pairs of pants. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to go through a thrift store and wear some other guy's pants. But I do go through the shoes. And again, it's a thing where the thrift store is full of square-toed shoes because square-toed shoes are from the 90s or from the 2000s or something. And you don't want a pair of square-toed shoes. If you have a pair of square-toed shoes that you bought back then that you're still wearing, that's great. You're still wearing the shoes that you bought then. But you're not going to go buy somebody else's throwaway square-toed shoes. And you can walk through the shoe section and go... Nope, 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 nope. And then every once in a while, it's rare, but you see a pair of shoes in the shoes that you're like, these are used shoes, already a problematic notion. Yeah, yeah. But this shoe, this shoe is singing to me somehow. And only then do you see if it fits. And then I go back through the luggage. And with the luggage, I'm not even touching stuff. I'm just looking with my eyes. Because what I'm looking for is a certain kind of bag which is to say old and soft. You're not looking like, for like the, the plastic, the red plastic Samsonites. I don't want a youth. Samsonite. I don't want somebody's old trumpet case because I have 14 of those already. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't want a hat box. You know, I'm looking for someone's duffel that someone's, you know, old small duffel that they used maybe when they shipped out to Singapore or maybe uh, they used it as a gym bag back in the day when they belonged to an athletic club. Like, so, but I can see it with my eye, right? And mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. moving through there. And then I'm moving through the blankets looking for a Hudson's Bay blanket or a mohair, some kind of, some kind of wool blanket made by an American or Canadian or English mill. And again, those are not fleece blankets. Those are not comforters. Those are not blankets knitted by your grandmother. They're a certain kind of thing. And you can feel them with your finger. You just run your finger along there. And you're like, that blanket's too soft, too soft, too soft. Oh, that one feels uncomfortable. Let's look at it. And because with a, with a blanket, you want something that looks, looks and feels uncomfortable because that, those, are the, those are the best ones. Uh, some, a blanket that might at one point have been on a horse. Mm. And then if there's plenty of time, right, half the time I'm already out of the thrift store by this point. But if there's plenty of time, you go look at the cufflinks and the wallets mm-hmm. and the belt buckles. And, this, and again, this is stuff that they you don't dawdle in, the, in that section of various souvenir wood items. That nope. Somehow always have their own aisle in a thrift store. I got I got all of the in and out boxes I need. I've got. You're know talking the, about though. Could, this could be also things made, uh, uh, roughly uh, uh, r- roughly making a sculpture of something that looks like a person out of tiny seashells. Mm-hmm. You've got spoons. all of the stuff that was made in wood shop class pencil holders. So and- strange. That's that that area feels the most disturbing. Like if I were going to try and trick out the set of a of a movie to really look like a serial killer was there, I would get all of those items. Well, right, like the monkey that's made out, that's carved out of a coconut. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Somebody will definitely want to use this. Yeah, well, or and also the aisle where it's just 1,500 wall warts for different 
uh, uh, electronic so devices depressing. that don't exist anymore. So you, but you have a cascade of these that it sounds like is somewhat conscious, but you don't have to think about it much. You know you don't have to think about each each shirt. You run your hand along. You have a whole cascade of ways you blow through one of these places. Yep. But I'm guessing there are also things where you can even, there's there, you can get a vibe sometimes about a place where you go, mm, that's not going to be good. Yeah, like, you walk in the door and you smell it. It doesn't know, take you, long. No. There's a, some photos that Dan has been sending me over time starting in March. And it's this place, you know, Dan gets very bewildered. He has concerns about things. He gets very <laughs> he bewildered. He likes to send photos of things. And he does. it's not always, not always clear what the what Not the sure what it is about. or why he's sending it. Uh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, th- no, but he started sending this to me in March. This place, because, you know, Dan gets concerns about things. We call it Dan's concern on the show. <laughs> so Dan had a concern about this place across the street from his office. It's this place that has Japanese food. I won't say the name of it, but it says, it says sushi, ramen, soba. So they're in what looks like... You ever been someplace where there's not really a front? Everything feels like the back, no matter where you are. <laughs> this is one of those places. The, the okay, San, I get it, I get it. Yeah, the San I'm, Francisco I'm Zoo feels like this. No matter where you go in the San Francisco <laughs> Zoo, you feel like you're behind wherever you're supposed to actually be. Like, is yeah, there a front it, to this? In a Japanese restaurant, it would there there would be that curtain between you and the kitchen, but sure. you'd feel like you're on the wrong side well, of the curtain. Well, in this case, this is from outside. There's a tree, a beautiful tree, blocking the entire front of this place. But it basically looks like a combination of a cross between a warehouse and one of those all-you-can-eat soup and salad places. It's got an awning, but it looks very much like the back door. There's lots of like utility boxes. They had a sign up for the place. Uh-huh. Then they added a second sign to the other side of the house, uh, other side of the building. Then uh, they put Christmas lights around the sign out front. Right. To that, they then hello, added, hello, hello, hello. To that, they then added uh, a Costco open close sign. Yep. To that, they then added a lamp in addition to that. And the thing is, but I, watching this progress now for you know whatever three four months, it's, it's it's so depressing because they are doing something they think is working. They think they're helping tease the heuristic a little bit by uh-huh. putting up more signs and more crystal and every like piece of shit look at me thing that they add to this makes this more a place i would never in a million years go into yeah this is they're I, trying I, they're trying to you know what i'm saying though they're trying to like yeah. stimulate in their mind they're like why is no one coming here we've got all these signs and christmas lights why is no one coming here for like food that uh, is definitely totally fresh if i owned a restaurant i've thought about this if i owned a restaurant i would have a very difficult time not over accessorizing it or oh, so it would look like a cracker barrel? Well, no, not quite that. But I wouldn't like uh, there wouldn't be any plows. <laughs> no Bennigan's kind of uh, street signs and stuff. <laughs> but like I I also I too would maybe not know when to stop with open signs. <laughs> because because you got you finally own a restaurant, you got to put yeah, all of them up. I'd find one at an auction that was like a cool old vintage open sign and I'd put it in there and then I'd be like Wow, you know what? A barber pole. Like <laughs> more maybe, signage. Yeah, maybe I should call this place barbers mm. or JJ poles. <laughs> and and you know, and pretty soon it would yeah, it would be like a McGinnicans, a McGinnicana Collies, <laughs> where I just had you know, my waiters all had garters on their sleeves uh-huh. and uh and were on roller skates. And I'd be like, you know, mm-hmm. you're only wearing 15 pieces of flair. You're just right. here to do a minimum job or are you going to go the whole distance? Like I would be, I, I'm afraid of being in retail or in restaurants. You mostly would know. for that You would not reason. be able to know. 
I wouldn't know when to when to quit. And every day, because you go into restaurants sometimes, and they're like beautiful minimalist places. Somebody's really thought about. It. Like my lady friend in college used to say, her advice for most women was take out all the makeup that you want to use tonight, and then put away half of it, and you will look really, really good. Most mm. people, after their own devices, will do too much of these things. And if it's like a one person owned place. Oh, there's a place near my college. I, I'm always using this as an example because it, it's so salient to me. He's, it was this guy who had bought, you know, like you get, get a place like, oh, your dentist's office used to be a Pizza Hut, that kind of thing. He yeah. bought a place that used to be a chain burger place mm. and made it his your own. Your dentist did. Well, no, no. This is a guy who made a burger place of an old burger place. Oh, I get you. Now, there are a couple of distinctive things. You walk in there, and first of all, the lighting is not that of a national chain. That mm-hmm. He's really, really not spending a lot on keeping this place up to the standard of even a McDonald's. Okay. Another thing you notice, and you, you think about think about this is like a dream, I swear to God, John. Imagine walking into a fast food place, and at the counter, there's one person working there. That person has a large console color TV behind the counter oh, and is sitting oh. in a reclining chair like a lazy boy behind the <laughs> counter. <laughs> and you'd walk in there. Now, this is all pretty interesting, but then it gets super interesting because every burger, every sandwich, everything that this man made, if you just got the standard sandwich, the standard burger, he always, always, always put a fried egg on it unless you asked him not to. Whoa. And he might seem a little hurt that you didn't want the fried egg. He had his own fucking restaurant with a lazy boy chair. <laughs> and every sandwich got a fried egg on it unless you ordered otherwise. And to me, that in my head, that's still always been the canonical example of, like, what can go slightly wrong if there's nobody else there to tell you how this should work? Yeah, right. He's like, look, I like a fried egg on everything. You know, like, I like He doesn't butter. even say you want a fried egg on that, right? Like, that's my yeah. thing. It's more like, no, I mean, it might as well be like he could have put, like, uh, fishing lures or brochures on there. It, it, it's just That's just the thing he does. Well, but the you know the flip side of that is the people that don't know anything that are like, Ugh. I'm opening a restaurant. I'm going to put a chili burger on the restaurant. I'm going to put when somebody orders it, I'm going to spread chili on the bun like it's a condiment Ugh. because I read about it in Restaurant Tour magazine or people somebody who showed make me sandwiches as though they've never actually eaten a sandwich. It's the yeah. bane of my existence. Yeah, who who? Uh, this is the other one. I uh, I'll have a chili burger, please. And then the burger comes. And it's got lettuce, tomato, and mayonnaise and pickles on it. It's like oh, and then you... like a cup of chili on the side, or like chili, <laughs> like, like build chi- your own <laughs> chili on the bun, chili oh. on the other bun, and then all the all this other stuff. Like, do they not have chili burgers in your town, dude? My neighborhood, are you a fucking UFO? My neighborhood, like it's 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 exactly the same kind of thing. And I've this is all part of part of my heuristic now is I can sniff out basically. I go in there. You're a coffee place, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're a coffee place. I'm sure you get real fancy coffee. Oh, and look at this. You, you do breakfast sandwiches. You know what the breakfast sandwich in my neighborhood is? You know, you get you get you get your egg, you get some yeah. cheese, you get a meat, and then yeah. all of the other things that you would put on a lunchtime sandwich. No lettuce. Tomato sprouts. Oh my god! No, no, exactly. This is like me trying to go out and make Szechuan, where I would have no idea what to make because I've eaten it, but I I don't know how to cook it. But like, who puts that? But everybody in the neighborhood does it. You have to go in and go. No, 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 no. I don't want tomato on my egg sandwich for breakfast. Sprouts. No. Sprouts. No, don't make me a ham, cheese, and bologna sandwich with sprouts, lettuce, and mayonnaise. Like you're making me so sad. Yeah, 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 and I and I feel like I feel like there are people that go into being in restaurants because it seems like a jo- like a good job. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to start a restaurant because it seems like a thing for a person to do. Everybody's got to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of somebody that's like, I've always wanted to have a restaurant because I have 
because I have a passion. Or, and because you've like been through the business of it. And like, that's when you're, we were talking about like, you know, the kind of restaurant where you go in, you're like, oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. This is like, they notice things. Like they notice that they, they don't ask you if you want more water. They give you more water because no one has never, no, nobody has ever not wanted water. If you drank the water in the glass already. Yeah. That, you know what? Here's a tip. You, you have demonstrated <laughs> that you're a water drinker, right? You're probably if, not thirsty anymore. <laughs> right? Like, I drink water. I have drunk water. You want more lettuce on your egg sandwich? <laughs> I, I, here's my idea for a restaurant, and I feel like... I feel like I got one was, for you, too. My, my daughter and I invented one this weekend. Let me hear yours. All right. Here's my idea. It would be like the soup guy in the Seinfeld show. Okay. Except it would have three big, like... Um, uh, like food service sized giant cooking pots mm-hmm. right behind a very, it's a very small restaurant, just a, just a railroad sized restaurant, three big pots. One has macaroni and cheese in it. One has chili in it. One has stew in it. Oh my they God. Ne- they never change. It's the three pots, stew, <sighs> chili, mac and cheese. And you, you decide you can eat, obviously the second thing is you can get a big bunch of it to go. Sure. The first thing is how many items? It's like going to Panda Express. How many do you want? One, two, or three items? That's right. One, two, or three. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. Every day, uh, every day, it's just like if you don't want macaroni and cheese, stew, or chili, go to a different restaurant. But if you want any one of those things or all three of those things, here we are. And for five bucks, you get a thing of one of those things. Oh my god! I would so I would be there so much. Here's right? my, here's, here's ours. My the big. This is based on the way that my daughter and I increasingly eat pizza. It's a new uh, it's a new restaurant called Toppers. We go in there and we give you melted cheese with toppings on it, but no pizza. Wouldn't you love to be able to go and enjoy pizza without eat, having to eat fucking pizza? Just have the top of a. It's just like that place that, or I guess it's another Seinfeld episode about the uh, about the muffin tops. Oh, the muffin tops. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had other ideas. I've had other ideas Toppers. for places uh, that are just gravies. It's just gravies and sauces, and then things to put it on. Mm. That's when you and I retire, which we can of course never afford to do. But if we do, or you know what? This would be a chance for our listeners to support us. Help us start the restaurant chain, Gravy, gravy McSaucingtons. <laughs> Merlin and John, and and it'll be we'll have like uh, we'll be like Bartles and James. Oh yeah yeah yeah, we'll be in the commercials. But we need a we need a cool name though. Maybe cover band. Uh, it's got to it's got to have a name that that incorporates the sauce idea. You don't think it just call cover it gravies? Me. Cover me, or just call it FX McGravies. <laughs> I like JJ as as, uh, as like a JJ McGravyman. Oh JJ McGravyman. Oh. But you like JJ because he did that incomprehensible television show that no one should ever watch. JJ should- Arms. Yeah, JJ J, 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 Arms or JJ J. Abrams? JJ McNoplot. No, oh, JJ oh. Abrams is the one with the, the all the spaceships? He made a Star Wars, and then you oh. got JJ Arms, who was the private detective that had hooks for hands. Now, if JJ Arms, if JJ Arms could come in and be the spokesperson for our great JJ McGravies. JJ McGravies, it's hooky. JJ McArms. Uh, what was the television show where there was a ghost monster and people were in and oh, out of sleaze stack? It's called and- House Man. It's about Big House Sorority Boy. What's it called? Oh, it's called. I know uh, the one you mean. Ghost Ghost House. Yeah, ghost Ghost. Uh, well, no, it was a ghost airplane that crashed onto an island that I'm had a about ghost the lost. monster. Lost. Oh, I thought you were talking about his one after that. Dollhouse is what I was thinking. I was his one. No, no. Is who this... am I thinking of? I'm thinking of Joss Whedon. Joss oh, Whedon. J.J. Abrams made Alias. J.J. Oh. Abrams made Lost. And I think J.J. Abrams made My So-Called Life. Oh, I get it. I well, think. Wait, you just said J.J. Abrams made Lost. 
What did I say? Yeah, J.J. Abrams. Joss Whedon didn't make that at all. Oh, Joss Whedon didn't make Lost? No, I think Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams, I think. Uh, let's see here. I, I See, I keep seeing Joss Whedon at, like, Comic-Con and stuff, I think so Will, I imagine Will, Will, Will Whedon. Oh, Will Whedon. Whedon. Hmm? Will Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> we still didn't talk about Morris dancing. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Next time.